0: Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Welcome to the Earful of Dirt Podcast. My name is Joshua Fredlin. Joining me tonight is Craig Verdale. How's your week been, Craig? I know we postponed a little bit um but how, how's everything going so far
1: uh it has been busy very busy just with uh work and life stuff uh i think my wife is feeling a under the weather today uh it's certainly been a busy week at work it's easter weekend you know for the catholics christians out there uh so you know prepping for that uh with the family uh so been busy but but good productive well, how about you josh how was your week
0: I'm um, saying, you know, I just had a, a work dinner come up. Um, my little brother's sick, so I, I kind of feel your pain there and we're preparing for Easter dinner as well. But uh, I think other than that, everything's been great. So uh, let's just jump into it. I think, you know, first game up was Toronto Glory. Um, Nate Osborne's technical first game in charge is he just – Um, just signed like three days before their game last week. Um, Ended up being a pretty good game. Um, You know, 32 to 27 was the final score in favor of Toronto in their second game back in Canada. Um, Ended up with two red cards, or excuse me, not red cards, two yellow cards in the last 10 minutes. So they were down to 13 with like a minute to go. And Corey Daniel had a chance for a hat trick and a game tying, depending on the kick game winning try. For all glory, so it ended up being a pretty good game. What would what, you think of what you read saw in the game?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, look, it's a coaching change, maybe mixes things up in DC. They needed to be have things mixed up, they were doing you know quite poorly. They are still, you know, after this week, 0 and 9. Uh, yeah, they've amassed five table points, including you know the points uh, from this week from the uh, um the margin, and they I believe they have the four tries this week too, right? So they, they, this was a 2 points point loss, I believe. Uh, so, um, you know, I guess you could say things are trending up for Old Glory, but hard to believe that it's not too little, too late for this season. I, I think if you're an Old Glory supporter, I, I have to imagine what you're hoping for is just to see some good performances that would give you confidence that going to next season you're going to have something to build around Something to build from. Certainly, Nate Osborne built a perennial threat in NOLA uh, up until this year, at least perennial. Uh, so you know, I think there's some something to be excited about there at least. Toronto's a weird team. I mean, they're with New York's recent struggles, they're creeping towards that third spot in the East. I mean, they've had some good wins. They've had some you know confusing losses. This is. I guess not a loss, but, you know, I guess surprisingly close margin against yeah. D.C. So they're, you know, they're, I don't know, they're hard to put your finger on, I think. Um, but I'll tell you this, as a New York fan who recently saw them beat New York, uh, I think they're dangerous. <laughs> I think anyone who's playing, you know, no one who's playing Toronto should be looking past that game as, a, as an automatic win.
0: Yeah, I definitely think, you know, Toronto's one of those teams, I think, I think there's a couple teams every year that the league's existed so far. You're just like, wait, how did that game actually happen? Did you did that result really happen? There's always been a couple of those, and I think this was one of those. And I think Toronto's kind of always been one of those teams, um, similar to NOLA a little bit. So we got the rest of the season to look forward to more interesting matches for Toronto. Uh, next game from the weekend was... The uh, New England Free Jacks hosting Seattle Seawolves um, was actually a lot closer match than I thought it was. I think I, I left it halftime with it being like, it was similar to the NOLA game last week where they were just up and then, you know, the visiting team comes back. It, it's just, I think we also saw that um, or James Dealey posted in the ML Rugby subreddit, the, the meters gained the leaders and no one from New England was on that list, yet they topped the tackle list. The top three tackle tacklers in MLR are from the Free Jacks, so they they do play that counterattack game, which can burn them on occasion. But it hasn't yet so far. What What do you make of what happened in this game, and just what you've seen from New England so far?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, you know, we we touched on this. I don't know, was last week or a couple of weeks ago. What are the things that? you know, translate a success in MLR. And I think we're seeing a case study from New England in the stuff they have works in the way this league plays right now. And I think what they have is a physical disciplined defense and a big play mentality around turnovers or mistakes. Uh, and I think that, I think they use the intensity of their defense and the pressure and the physicality of it to generate mistake plays by the opposing team, and they capitalize on those mistake plays very well. But I actually think Seattle is not too dissimilar from that. They also are, to me, kind of a a front-up defense, you know, where they, they do very well and they can get set in their defensive shape, have a nice line speed coming in. And I think, I think for both these teams where they get into more trouble is when you're pushing them either tempo-wise or – laterally across the field and they can't quite get into that really comfortable shape and line up their defensive roles and, and defend that way. And I think this game, and you see, may even have more playmakers total than, than New England does. Um, New England has Waka though. And so I, I think the difference to me in this game is New England's playmaker is close to the ball on almost every play. I mean, if it, it, it's a tackle, you know, it's got to get from the 9 to the 10, and that's it. And now your your playmaker has the ball. For Seattle, the playmakers are a little further out, and it's harder to get the ball to them, especially when you're playing a defense like New England, that is, coming up really front, and has the time to line up their assignments. It's hard to get the ball wide when you're giving the defense the time to set up like that. And so I think that, that really, to me, this entire match, it was a close final score, but it boiled down to, New England's tacklers were making the tackle, getting to their feet, disrupting the ruck, making it difficult for Seattle to get quick ball. And because that was buying the New England defense time to get into shape, Seattle just had no way to get the ball to their plane. They just didn't have the skill near the the breakdown. They didn't have the playmaking ability near the breakdown to get through that New England defensive rush frequently enough to win this game. So, I mean, that was... like. I can just say that whole long speech I just gave in one sentence, which is, New England's ball play, uh, playmaker was closer to the ball, got more touches, and Seattle's are further away, and New England denied them touches.
0: Yeah, I think we we've seen a couple teams now that run that that rush defense kind of. Um, I think Atlanta's another one that. Yeah. But they also they have that different style of offense. I so think they, they combine the the Seattle offense with the New England defense, so it's it's kind of an interesting tactic to see. Yeah, different teams. Like, to run. me,
1: Atlanta's Atlanta definitely has a rush defense, and they they have very fast line speed, probably faster than New England off the line. But they're they have a little less discipline about it to me. You know, they're more like a a kamikaze crash. You know, where I think they would be better served to actually. I think Atlanta would actually do better if they slowed it down just a tad and kept their defensive line integrity a little more uh, stringently, especially out wide. And I think New England actually does that. They're, they're a little slower, but they're, they're line, their spacing and their line integrity, I think, is more disciplined. And I think that actually works a little better in MLR. All right.
0: So speaking of Atlanta, they um – in case you didn't, just a refresher for those who don't know. Because of the unbalanced conferences, the East teams uh, will play one team three times. So some teams will get two home games against another team. Um, this was the case this weekend, this past weekend. Excuse me, where um, NOLA hosted Rugby ATL again. I think we all expected a similar game to what was before. I think I said three points last week um, on the pod. I think John said like two points. Um and it ended up being a 51 point total score, whereas the first game was 14 to 9. This one was 34 to 17. So I think we're we're seeing that continuation of that learning under um the n- new head coach um Brett I Stephen Brett, excuse me. Um so that that growing attack that he's implementing um from last season too is, is continually showing its head. You know, you had five different try scores. Um, So it was was definitely, you know, a good game for them and able to get back on track after, you know, a couple slow weeks, at least in terms of Atlanta's playing style.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, this one started with a really exciting play by Noah. They scored one of the better tries of the season, uh, right. In the first few minutes, I think Damian Stevens technically dotted it down, but it was like a a wheeler uh, chase in there, or a kick, you know, kick, kick and chase. Uh, Duncan Van Skalkwick for Atlanta had a chance to play the kick and he muffed it and it got picked up. Uh, the camera made it a little difficult to see exactly what happened. It, it, somehow at the end of this, Damian Stevens ended up down. So Noah started off real hot, um, but it, I think it was telling how they basically. I mean, they had that and they scored another try right before the half both of those were kind of individual big plays or big, big drives. Um, those were very few and far between, you know, for most of the game, it felt like Atlanta were just knocking on the door scoring. Uh, they, they seemed to control the entire, for the most part, control the tempo. They had the initiative. They were winning every phase of the game, whether it be set piece or ball in hand attack or the kicking game. I and mean, they, they pretty, you know, 80% of the game seemed to be in their hands. And I think at, at the end of the day, that's why the final score got to be a little lopsided As not showed some flashes of uh, competitiveness or some flashes of greatness, but, you know, Atlanta were just overwhelming for the most part. Um, and so they walk away with it with a big margin win.
0: Yeah, um, I, I think we can all say that Atlanta is probably one of the favorites. I think we, Consider them a favorite from the beginning of the season, and they continued to show why. So, next game of, of the weekend was um, probably the usual blowout that we may have expected, although maybe some people didn't based on their previous game. Um, Houston hosted Dallas in windy conditions once again down in Houston. Um, final score was 31 to 6. Um, the debuting Lortz van der Vanderschiff from South Africa had a brace um we you you've mentioned multiple times houston playing that slow ball type of break you down defense take advantage of offense when they can but they seem to be opening up the offense a little bit more what what changes have you seen from this team well i,
1: I think that they i think they've gone a little seesaw saw them because at the beginning of the year they were very plotting in attack i think that they they I thought they actually self-identified that same problem. Same injected in all the sevens players. And now we're on Houston, like the Danny Barrett and, and Um, and, uh, I think at first they tried to get too crazy. They thought they were playing sevens. Uh, So they got a little wild. And I think now they've dialed it back to what's mostly a good range. Now they got stomped by Austin. Um, that I thought was actually quite surprising because I thought I thought they were playing very well. Um, yeah, tough to draw too much conclusion from you know a, a revenge game against Dallas. Yeah, feel, yeah, coming off the loss from Austin. Um, obviously, we you know spoken at length about Dallas problems this year. So, you know, I'm sure it feels good to get a big win for Houston, but. Um, there, yeah. You know, if I'm them, I'm still a little sour about it, the loss to Austin, and I'm looking for the next, you know, top of the table opponent I could test my metal against.
0: All right, first of the Sunday games. And speaking of Austin, they went out to visit San Diego, played on the played on the parking garage. Um, it was a little slow out of the gate for this game. Surprisingly, for both of these teams, um, you know. While Mateus Fryer did score in the fifth minute, there wasn't much action outside of that. We, you know, we had two, pe- we had three penalties converted before the next try was scored, and then after that, we had four more tries. So you know, it's a game of game of ups and downs in this game. Um, Houston, or excuse me, Austin came out on top, 35 to 21, um, cemented their status two weeks in a row. I think I shouldn't say cemented their status, but they've definitely shown that they can. Be the best in the West. It's just a question of can they handle the East? Because both of their losses prior to prior to going on this hot streak of theirs were to East teams. So, yeah. and then San Diego kind of took a nosedive in this game as well. Yeah, I mean,
1: I thought this is an interesting. This is actually in my mind the most fascinating game of the week. Cause, we, you know it's, I, I feel like you do enough podcasts, you start comparing the same things or saying the same things over and over again. but this one really was a I thought a more unique um, spectacle because I feel like the difference here on like it's not a style difference or somebody is you know better at attack or defense or faster or slower. I think there was like almost a culture difference in this one where I, I feel like San Diego is a team of savvy veterans who play smart. They have that, that kind of just veteran rugby IQ. Um, and they have some individual great efforts. I mean, they have some older, but, uh, you know, Ma Nonu and Joe Peterson and uh, Tam Laos are playing great. So they have a lot of individual efforts and they kind of have a, a savvy rugby smarts to them. Whereas Austin are, I think they have, obviously, some eagle you know captains of the team. It's not like they have limited experience, but they just have the feel to me of a, uh, more, more like a younger, brasher, hungrier team, but without necessarily the uh, like the savvy that San Diego has. So, for example, I think the best, I think San Diego was the most successful in in this contest and all season when they do two things. They, I think they, and they did this like for the first half against Austin, they kind of fell away. And I think that's why you saw the score flip a little bit, but um, they they have the ability and they often do use a first phase pass that is really wide. I mean they come from the rough and they whip that first pass and it's a good like 15 meters away, it seems, that first receiver. And that makes things really tough on the defense because you know, that first receiver, you know, if you've covered that much space with that first pass, then then you know, usually you're gonna have one defender assigned. To pillar, you have one defender assigned to the scrum half, and then your next defender is on that first receiver. So, you know you have now only three defenders across a 15 meter of space because you have that gap there, and uh, the rest of San Diego's numbers are are going to be out wide for the most part. I mean, most mm-hmm. are will be wider of that first pass. That's a long way for a defense to rotate, uh, you know, to get into shape on that side. They got to, those defenders that are on the other side of the ruck that are going to rotate, you know, after the tackle has been made. They got to go 20 meters laterally across the field to get to where the attack is. Then there's another phase, and Sydney whips it back 15 meters the other way. And Again, it's a big rotation, and they they, they get that wide pass going. And even if the pass isn't making a lot of, you know, they're not making a lot of meters in those first few tries at, the, you know, like truck ball carry tries. Um, but I think there's, they're working that defense back and forth and that tires them out. And it makes it hard for them to get into a defensive shape. Like we talked about with new England. And so I think San Diego were doing that to Austin and it was just like Austin didn't have the, the savviness, to, like do something to stop that. Uh, And San Diego had the the ascendancy early; they were winning at halftime, Um, but then it kind of fell away. Both because I I think they're maybe, maybe because San Diego's a little older and the fitness started to get to them at the end, compared to a younger Austin team. At least I mean I don't even know that's technically true, but it feels seems that way anecdotally to me. and uh, and maybe and for some reason though they, they, like the second half you didn't see as many of those wide passes off the first phase uh, it seemed like they were trying to go a little faster San Diego and I think it didn't it, I don't think it did themselves any any favors um, so I think that's you yeah, they 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 combine the wide pass and then now that creates some space that tires defense and then you open the door for individual efforts by like a known who just runs through the line or whatever I think that's what they got to stick to and that's when San Diego is doing their best. Um, but you know Austin had enough fire and enough hunger to contain that early, and then as San Diego either couldn't or didn't continue to pursue that strategy all game, Austin pulled away at the end. I also want to say I love Chris Martinez. I thought he played such a good game. Um, he even did like Rux, where it looked like the Texas or the Austin ball carrier was alone and was gonna. I remember one player, Mac Mason, went into contact. And there were like three defenders, and there was only Matina in support. Uh, and he like got down in there and like, cleared off all three defenders in the rock. Uh, and that was in addition to all his meters. May he scored a try at the end. Um, I just he played a great game, and I I miss his uh, his gumption in New York.
0: I will say, you know, the, Austin's offense definitely surprised me because they did it without Marco Keefe and without Connor Mooneyhan. So that was definitely a plus for them, knowing that, you know, two of their biggest impact players and they can still play their game exactly the way they want to. So
1: Yeah. They did have the uh, – I would say they did have a, the only thing they really had a clear advantage in, that I haven't talked about, but they did seem to have a set-piece advantage for whatever no reason. San Diego was struggling with the line out, uh, and then Austin had some huge scrums in the home stretch, even, like, turning over San Diego feeds with penalties and stuff. Uh, so, you know – it was it was the game was attainable for San Diego to the final minutes. Austin scored a try at like the seventy six minute or something to put it out of reach. But uh, I mean it. Yeah, you know, it was a close game, but those Austin awesome scrums down the home stretch were just daggers.
0: I I think a couple of things for at least the lineouts. Um, they had Ben Grant came out in the fourth minute, so that definitely didn't help, especially him being the tallest, if not tied for the tallest player in Major League Rugby. Um, And then um, I didn't notice this until Brian Ray pointed it out and then looked it up, but they had Pat Linott playing Hooker, who had previously played for the Arrows, but he'd only ever played like loose head prop. I'm not aware of anything, any time of him playing Hooker before. So that could have played a little bit of a factor into that decision as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, you hope they, let, you know, you hope they think of those things themselves beforehand. But yeah, that makes sense.
0: And then um, probably the su- most surprising results of the weekend, um, the LA of old returned but against the team that actually beat them last year when they were in the midst of their hot run. So I know Craig doesn't want to talk about this one at all, but we'll we'll get we'll get through it as quick as we can. Um, you know, they had. One, two, three, four, five, six tries. Orini um, IE continues to show, continues to be the ageless wonder. Um, I think a lot of it, I think we mentioned this multiple times before, early on in the season, they, they had so many injuries and they were changing the lineup so often that they just didn't have any chemistry. And they finally have come around to that where they've finally been able to play together. They've finally been able to, you know, practice together. And that, that those results are finally being shown on the field. Um, unfortunately, I don't have an answer for New York. I don't know what happened. Maybe it's just a um, combination of weak and tiredness and just needing a rest. But, Craig, do you can you say anything about what happened with New York?
1: <laughs> um, I'm not sure I'm emotionally ready yet. Uh,
0: <laughs> I'll give you five seconds.
1: <laughs> this was, uh, yeah, as a New York fan, uh, I mean, very disappointing. I, I I don't know what's happened, but that that the Toronto loss feels like it really stole, like crushed the soul of New York. I don't know. They've been they've been so flat ever since. It just seemed very lifeless. So many unforced errors, and they just seem to compound. I mean, I don't know what I don't know what it is. Uh, but certainly, I I feel like a a looming uh, negative loop forming uh, that hopefully they can break out of because you know i think it's a cliche to say but i really think it's true that you're know, winning is a habit losing is a habit new york has been M L R for a few years and they've always been a winning team and i think that has helped them and i just i'm getting the feeling like we're entering a phase where they might become a losing as a habit team um and uh i mean i, I think it really hurts that andy ellis is doesn't really start. Is it's hard, you know, it's hard to keep him healthy when he has started. It's been at fly half recently, which is fire with me. But now that Sam Windsor's back, he's kind of and he else is once again sort of gone to a bench supporter role. I think he is such a key to that the mentality of that team. And he's not in the field. I just don't think they've found a replacement leader. Uh, also, Dylan Foss, the same thing like Dylan Foss is for whatever reason not getting these starts.
0: And okay. I. And I, I they actually started him at like um, one of the, um, the back row. One of the back row positions. So I don't, yeah I, I agree with you. I don't know why he's not in his normal hooker position. Yeah,
1: and it, there's been many games this year where he hasn't started at all. Um, so I, I just don't know. I don't know what they're. I think they're missing the leadership um, of those veterans. Uh, so I don't know. will see. I mean, obviously Nate Brakely is the captain. He's starting. So hard to. You know, hard to get him a pass on that. It's hard to give the coach a pass. I mean, I think they got to you know, kind of this like a bury the rugby ball, restart the the season mentality after after a forty three to nothing drubbing.
0: Hey, maybe maybe they'll get some reinforcements soon. I know um, at least in the form of you know Nick Savetta. He um, the Oxford um, Cambridge game happened. So him, Dorotalo might be coming back. And then they just literally like two hours ago announced the signing of Waisake Noholo, um, the, the all-black um, former or 2015 World Cup champion. so he played last, he was last playing with the Canterbury rugby football union um, played his last uh, at least high level professional team was with the London Irish, but he only made four appearances them uh, for them before, and then before that, played um, 62 matches with the Highlanders in Super Rugby. So we'll we'll see what he can bring to them. Um, I don't I don't exactly know what they need to do, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I mean, never hurts to add an All Black. Maybe yeah, let's sweep the sheds. really show these boys what's up.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm. We do have a discussion topic that. Um, but I actually want to move into our question for the week because we only got one. And it's relatively short because we kind of don't know the answer to it. Um, Life Love Rugby um, asked us, "Do we know what the TV viewership numbers look like so far?" Um, yes and no. Um, so Showbuzz Daily does all the sports numbers. Um, they do the top. I think it's either one hundred and fifty or two hundred. Um, and we were also told that numbers for Fox Sports Two basically don't exist. Um, similar to how CBS Sports numbers didn't exist. Um, so the only game that I was able to find that was broadcast on Fox Sports 1 was the Utah-Houston game from a couple weeks ago, and that had like 116,000 viewers, according to the according to Showbos Daily, which, you know, isn't bad. We kind of hoped for better. So probably right around that ninety to 100,000 range, you could assume, one could assume, so... All right. Discussion topic of the week um, is inspired by post on the ML rugby subreddit. If you're not already there, please come join us. It's always lovely discussions. If you have questions, people are, most people are kind and will give you an answer or at least direct you to where you can find an answer. Um, but draft picks, um, you know, it's an American thing. Our sports leagues have draft picks. Um, Well, one of the the things that everyone's concerned about, and I think that this was the reason why the Raptors left as well, was the development of talent instead of that win-now mentality. Well, if you own the team, you're always going to have that win-now mentality. So you almost have to incentivize the development of players, which I think um, the league has done so far with the grassroots initiatives. And then I think they could further do that. Um, At least my thoughts are um, you could give salary cap incentives But, you know, similar to how I believe MLS does it in that you can have like only like 50 percent of their salary count against your cap or something like that. What are you what are you thinking along the lines of development initiatives or along those lines, Craig?
1: I mean, uh, yeah, that makes total sense. Of course, in rugby, you know, rugby and soccer are probably much healthier developmental pathways globally than the way American sports work and where it's done from schools and there's like really no connection between one program to the next. Um, So for those who don't know, an academy system is almost like, I mean a a real full academy and like a premiership may have a, a club may have five or six levels of teams below the top, top team um, and so the people on the top team may have come, and they may have come from anywhere, but they may have come all the way up through that program, and, and so they've been cared for and developed and nurtured by a certain club um, through their whole age, not just at the professional level, but you know, even through youth um, rugby. So then we we're sort of developing that now with the academies here in MLR, which, of course, I think is great. Um, I, I guess the hardest thing about it to me is I mean, these things take time. It's not like you put an academy in, and two years later, you've homegrown—you know—groomed homegrown players to be, you know, World Cup quarterfinalists. I think this is a generational sort of change. I mean, maybe these academies like when my kids are old enough to be in an academy, and then they get groomed for years, and then they reach a professional level. I mean, that's when I think—that's the t- the time frame I think we're talking about seeing the impact of these things. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you can. Sure, give them some salary cap incentives. I think that never hurts. Um, I think... But, you know, I don't know that it's going to... I mean, the academy players typically aren't the big salary earners. You know, most in today's MLR, most of those are foreign players or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it it, it never hurts. But I think what realistically is is going to take is just a, a long time of being in that community and establishing pathways for people to find you and ways to keep America's you know, P- Americans interested and kind of figure out all the things that are unique to the American scene to find a way to make the Academy idea work. And hopefully they can keep expanding it until it is, you know, a kind of more fulsome, like, you know, youth age rugby all the way up to, you know, debuting for the, uh, the roosters. So it
0: will one day do. So speaking of draft player, drafted players, um, I think some of us are still confused at how the draft process works because there's so many people who make themselves eligible or don't make themselves eligible that don't get drafted. Um, Austin, you know, had been promoting these new signings for the past couple of days, um, and they finally just announced them. They, you know, the signings of Ronan Murphy and Peyton Ila Leo. Excuse me absolutely butchered that name, but they're both coming from St. Mary's. And I think a lot of people were, were wondering like, how, how are they eligible to sign? Well, I guess apparently as long as they wait out towards after halfway through the season, they're eligible apparently. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's, I
1: thought it was a year if you didn't, uh, if you didn't register for the draft, but if you register for the draft and then didn't get drafted, you're immediately eligible.
0: Yeah. And I think that's where the confusion is coming in because, um, in the article on the Austin website, um, head coach Sam Harris has, has said, you know, he's a rare talent and he probably would have gone number one if he had made himself eligible. So based on what you said, he should be eligible to be signed.
1: Yeah, it seems like it changed what I had heard. But it, yeah, you're, I mean, it's true, the draft rules and systems all over the place. There's expansion drafts and there's this kind of draft. And <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I get where they're trying to go. I think drafts are an exciting thing for Americans. Well, let's be clear. Drafts are not player-friendly devices. Drafts are team-friendly devices. They allow teams to basically get under-market contracts for people, and it's a parity device to try to like give you know the worst team the most under-market contract, uh, and you know, and descending orders. So, I mean, it's it is a it is a owner-friendly system. Uh, that, as you intimated, Josh is not popular elsewhere in the world. So, like, do I care if there's a draft? No. Do I think if they make the draft a fun thing to watch that could draw fans to them more? Yes. And I assume that's what they're going for. Um, but you know, they definitely haven't—they uh, definitely haven't figured out exactly the right recipe yet. Because right now, it's kind of a nothing event, and it's just more confusing than it is entertainment.
0: So go along the lines of you know entertainment and getting actual players in the league, do you think they need to go like similar to how major League baseball or not major league baseball? i'm like, getting my sports confused at the moment um the n b a does it where you know you they're allowing nas- or international players or do you think it should just remain collegiate players and the teams can just sign international players
1: nah i mean I just don't even think it's practical to do international players um uh, you know. I don't think there's anything wrong with the eligibility system for the draft. I think the problem is, you know, the, again, the draft is typically a, an owner friendly thing. When, uh, when the owner, when the players are making millions and of dollars to go play in the league, yeah, you know, you're willing to, to submit to an owner friendly thing like a draft and that's fine. You, your life is made anyway. Um, we're not having that sort of life changing economics here. So uh, I think it's, you know, I think it's a little tougher. Yeah, the, the the people that are drafted aren't most, for the most part, immediately impacting the outcomes of the games. Like they're not you know, the most important players on most teams. Um, and they're not getting paid a life changing amount. So I think it's, it's, honestly, it's like the Major League Baseball draft in that sense where. The impact of the draft is longer term and less significant than than like a basketball or football draft, um, and just like those, I mean, who watches the baseball draft? Is it even on TV? I mean, it's just not that is not an entertainment spectacle.
0: I, like, I think it's on the major. I think it's on the MLB Network.
1: I've never seen I've never seen one moment of televised baseball draft in my life. Uh, when I watch the the NFL draft, like it's New Year's Eve. So, uh, but just as a show, it's just not—it's not as exciting as a spectacle when the the actual outcome of the draft is not as meaningful. And I think that's a problem that MLR is going to have to overcome more so than like international players this or that. I mean, I guess international could be exciting. It just seems entirely impractical. How would you get them to agree to participate in that sort of system? Um, yeah.
0: Uh, all right, let's move on to picks. Um, for a short week this week, another short week, we only have five games. Um, one tomorrow night, uh, Friday, April 15th. Um, excuse me, one on Friday. If you are listening to this on Friday, it is tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, and then four on
1: sorry to have produced this by tomorrow morning now. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah we'll have to, we'll have to Saturday rush Corey.
1: This game has already happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll have to rush Corey on this one a little bit. Um, and that is completely my fault. I apologize, Corey. Um, and then we have four on Saturday, and they are spread out a little bit, so they are two start at the same time, but that's not as bad as when the league had like four starting at one, at one point. Um, but let's just jump into it. Uh, Utah versus Old Glory in, at D.C. Um, Friday, April 15th, 8 p.m. Eastern. The Rugby Network, KMYU, KSL um, I don't know if they're doing a radio broadcast or not this week. Um, and then uh the local DC broadcast is NBC Sports Washington. Yeah, uh, Utah's on the downslide. Old oh, Glory's kind of looking up. Do I'm gonna take the upset and go DC by three. Hmm,
1: interesting. Uh man. Uh I do I am tempted to take DC here in the in the magic of Osborne. Um Uh, No, I'm going to still say Utah. I'll say Utah right there.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Next up, another uh, north of the border matchup. Uh, This time, NOLA visiting on Saturday, April 16th. Uh, Another early kickoff uh, for those of you who enjoy brunch at 12 p.m. Eastern. It's on the Rugby Network, TSN in Canada. Unfortunately, this is the only way Canadians can watch this game. It's on TSN. And then your view for the local NOLA broadcast. Um, you know, this was a close matchup. Originally, the first time these two teams met, they were both struggling. Toronto ended up coming away with their first victory of the season by a point. Um, home ground three weeks in a row. I'm going to go Toronto by four.
1: Yeah, this is one of those ones where it's like anything, literally anything could happen. Uh, but I also, I'll, I, in that sense, I guess I'll take the home team. Uh so let's say
0: Toronto by six. All right. All right. And then uh, first of the, the dual matchups, we have Houston visiting the LA Guiltenies Saturday, April 16th, uh, six p.m. Eastern on the rugby network, Bally Sports West, and then on tape delay on ETT Sports Net in the Houston area. Excuse me. Um LA's looking for revenge in this one. I'm gonna go LA by 15, just based on their most on their recent one.
1: Yeah, I mean, Houston did beat L.A. Uh, already this year. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see what strategy Houston bring into this, but I am still suffering from the PTSD of L.A.'s romping of New York this past week, so uh, right now I've got L.A. boogeyman running around my brain, so I'm going to say L.A. by 12.
0: Hey, well, at least New York gets a, is, has a week off this week. So they get to recover from the...
1: They just quit the league. I couldn't tell what, what it was.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, I shame the next matchup, uh, possibly the most interesting matchup just based on recent form um, and, and the rivalry that they have developed. Uh, Rick, we don't know what happened to Rooney. I don't think any of us can answer that question for you. Um, Many the West Coast rivalry between San Diego and Seattle in Seattle Saturday April sixteenth, six p.m. Eastern. Um, the Rugby Network, Root Sports, Your View, Cali. Um. Coin flip. Um, I'll go Seattle by two.
1: Yeah, I think this, this is a great matchup. Love the O.G. team matchups. Love the West Coast matchups. Uh, I do think Seattle have been the recipient of some tough, tough beat losses lately. Um, I think I think you know, I want to see their play. I mean, it's all team. I don't know why all team wasn't starting this past week. Um, I, I think they are. I, I think that they need him in there for the you know. Others we talked about but it's They need some more playmaker a little closer to the ball. They start Al I'm taking Seattle by three.
0: Um, and then possibly the the worst matchups. Or well, thank you. Rick says Seattle by three. But Rick, we know that's a homer pick, but it's probably reasonable pick as well. Um, and then possibly the the least interesting matchup you could put on the national broadcast of the week. Um, Austin is visiting Dallas at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports Two. Their first matchup didn't go so well. I think it was 52 to seven, if I'm not mistaken. I'm probably gonna. I'm just gonna take awesome by thirty. I don't think there's much more for me to say.
1: This is you're you know you guys out there in your club games. Uh, you may go to games occasionally where one side is just like this really well established organization and they have their shit together, their stuff together. Excuse my language. And uh, the other team is just kind of like struggling to get 15 people, and you have to just lend some players to the other side just to even play. I feel like that's where we're at with this game. Like, I, I can just see some awesome players just playing for Dallas this week. It has that kind of feel for it.
0: Uh, it, it would have been funny if this was last week because they had just completed a trade with Austin.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Uh, Austin, let's say Austin by 21.
0: Um, That was pretty much it for us. You know, relatively short, short one for us. I think we said what we needed to say. There were some questions where you're just like, there were some games where you're just like, I don't think we need to say much, you know, New York and a couple others. Um, but you know, a couple shout outs. Uh, first, uh, we mentioned them last week, but the San Jose State women's rugby team they won their conference title against UC Santa Cruz, um, 50 to nothing. So another, um, blowout game, but Congrats. that kind of, yeah, and they kind of, they also did it with an undefeated record, and then, um, uh, shout out to Richie Asiata, um, the former Toronto's, the Toronto Arrows man, um, made his Super Rugby debut earlier this year, is making his first Super Rugby start this weekend against the Rebels. So go go Queensland. <laughs> well, that'll do it for all of us here at Earful of Dirt. We we thank you for watching and listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Earful of Dirt. Uh, my name is Joshua Fredlin. You can find me at Joshua on Twitter. That is Deli. You can find him at MM mmflyhalf on Twitter. Um, sorry, last minute question from Rick. Um, I don't know who would be the best collegiate player. Um, probably, uh, Goff would probably be a better person to ask, ask for that. Um, as far as need for them, probably uh, a forward, just based on their, their set piece, losing streak, pretty much. Um, I think they have the back, the the talent in the backs. I think they just need more stability up front. That's where I would put put their talent, their picks. Excuse me. So once again, thank you for listening, everyone, and go watch them up here.